0: You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast equivalent of The Man Show. If The Man Show was done by only one geeky guy talking about comics on the internet. episode, Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio program celebrating the Green Lantern comic books, cover dated from June 1990 until November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner, the two greatest Green Lanterns to ever grace the comic book medium, well, in my opinion, nonetheless. I'd like to thank you all for coming back, or I'd like to thank you all for picking up the podcast right here. Uh, hopefully you actually did come back because last week was my, well, my controversial episode where I basically bared my soul about the changes that they made with the character Alan Scott. Thankfully, or maybe just because people are bored, I didn't get any email criticizing or praising the episode, so I'm going to take it as no news being good news. I'd also like to put out a little bit of correction that I caught in the podcast from last week I noticed that during the uh, synopsis, I basically called the field where Doibee Dickles, the ridiculous Alan Scott sidekick, had constructed on Merg to represent the field in Brooklyn during his time period. I kept referring to the field as Ebert's Field. That's my unfamiliarity with, well, baseball, and especially historical New York baseball. The actual name of the field was Ebbets Field, E-B-B-E-T-S. So, to any people that I offended by my simple mistake or my stupid mistake about pronouncing the field, I know sometimes baseball fans can get crazy, so I just wanted to call it out that I realized that and I'm making the correction now. Also, while I'm at it, I'd like to thank Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor of the From Crisis to Crisis podcast, One more time for allowing me to show up on their show, from Crisis to Crisis, obviously, and talk a little bit about Guy Gardner. It was a fun record, and despite the fact that we had some technical difficulties with the weather causing Skype to cut out, it was a great show, and I really enjoyed doing it. Uh, If you're not listening from Crisis to Crisis, and you're interested in comic books in any way during this time period, you need to go start listening to it. Jeffrey and Michael are doing a comprehensive and wonderful job over there, so go check it out. But with overt butt kissing out of the way, let's go ahead and take a break, play a few promos, and when we get back, we will start out with Green Lantern issue number 20, a storyline that will introduce us to some new and incredibly interesting Green Lanterns. So stay tuned, we'll be back in a few seconds.
1: Just once, in a lifetime, does a podcast come along that pushes the boundaries of the medium, that redefines what it is to be an internet radio broadcast, that touches us, reaches into us, inspires us, teaches us, that causes us to re-examine just who we are and why we are. That expands our horizons. That makes us completely rethink our destiny in this cosmos and our place in the grand design. Just once in a lifetime. But while we're all waiting for that podcast to be invented, why not give a listen to Hey Kids Comics? Hey Kids Comics is a smart, fresh, and hilarious podcast that looks at all kinds of fun and interesting topics related to the ever evolving world of the comic book art form. You can find Hey Kids Comics at APLayland.Podomatic.com. That's Hey Kids Comics. Sorry.
0: World where planets die
1: i have come to the conclusion krypton is doomed did i hear him right where good and evil fight a never-ending battle but millions of people will die millions
0: once again the press underestimates me one man will become a hero
1: every world needs its heroes clark they inspire us to be better than we are Protect us from the darkness that's just around the corner.
0: One man will rise to the challenge. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. One man will wear spandex.
1: Well, one thing's for sure, nobody's gonna be looking at your face, Mom. Well, they don't call them tights for nothing.
0: Presenting The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast looking at the Man of Steel's history via his earliest adventures in comics, radio, and film. Featuring reviews, commentary, creator spotlights, and more. Join the adventure at GreatCrypton.com.
2: Why, hello there, lovely ladies. May I just say that you look quite beautiful in your matching Slave Leia metal bikinis. You have permission to come aboard my den of nerd-erotica. Some people would call it my mom's garage. I call it 10.1 forward. Can I interest you in a death stick? Nope. I was just kidding. Have a shot of it. Once you get loosened up, we can play a friendly game of Strip Fizzbent. Let me loosen that strap.
0: Hey, suckers, Maury Clawhammer here, okay? You want your freaking Star Wars? I got your Star Wars right here! What about the Star Trek? You like that shit too, right? Right? That's what I thought. Well, we got that and we got more freaking comics than you can read in your entire miserable goddamn life. Hey, there's even a girl who talks about unicorns and goddamn Harry Potter and M... and... uh, them goddamn Oriental cartoons with the big eyes. So you get your ass over to the 2 True Freaks podcast at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. That's spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, alright? Alright? Good. You can get there on the internet and choose from hundreds of quality 2 True Freaks podcasts. And would it kill you to buy a goddamn t-shirt? Remember, 2 True Freaks, 2 True Freaks, 2 True Freaks, 2 True Freaks.
2: Attention, people of Earth, do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directed. 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 Hey, you! Yes, you, hearing this message. Do you like podcasts? Well, evidently you do, because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do! Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well, then, have I got the show for you. Earth Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the Internet, and we talk about all your old favorites, like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera, but also lesser-known monsters, like Gappa, Yungari, and Giawa. We cover everything from movies to comic books to video games, and we're kicking it old school. This is breaking news. We are receiving word that Earth's Destruction Directive is now a part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Listeners are advised to stay in their homes and listen to all of the fine quality podcasts on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network, available at... 2truefreaks.libsen.com. We now return you to your regularly scheduled broadcast. Wait a minute. Is this true? Earth Destruction Directive is now on the 2 True Freaks Network? You bet your oxygen destroyer it is. So if you love atomic powered, fire breathing, hardcore, giant monster action, then head on over to two truefreakslibsencom and check out Earth Destruction Directive. We're turning all of your Dai kaiju dreams into city-smashing reality.
0: So, welcome back. If you haven't been checking it out, over the past month, the 2 True Freaks website has been sponsoring what they like to call King Kong Month. They've done reviews of the 1933 Kong. They've done a commentary for the 1976 Kong. They've done a review of the Whitman treasury-sized edition of King Kong. And Luke Giaconetti, whose trailer you just heard for Earth Destruction Directive, did an excellent podcast covering the 1967 Toho movie King Kong Escapes. And I don't exactly remember seeing the film. I might have seen it uh, during the 80s on TBS. But it features King Kong, a guy in a gorilla suit, fighting a robot King Kong, who is controlled by a man named Dr. Who. Yes, not Dr. Who, W-H-O, the Matt Smith time-traveling character. No, an Asian stereotype sort of Fu Manchu person. It sounds like a heck of a lot of fun. If you can catch the movie, check it out. But definitely check out Luke's podcast. It's a hoot. And when it comes to all things Japanese giant monsters, Luke is the man that you want to listen to. But random butt kissery out of the way. Let's get on to the review of Green Lantern number 20. Green Lantern number 20 was cover dated January 1992. The cover price was one dollar US, a dollar twenty-five Canada, and sixty pence UK. The title of the book was Regeneration Part One: The Deal. The writer was Gerard Jones. Penciler Pat Broderick, inker Romeo Tangal, letterer Albert de Guzman, colorist Anthony Tolan, and editor Kevin Dooley. Green Lantern Roll Call, Chaselon of Barrio 3, Larbox of Spuda, Nort of Newt, Guy Gardner of Earth, Kilowog of Bullamax Vic, John Stewart of Oa, Brick of Triad. These are the Green Lanterns, Hal Jordan calls to Oa to discuss his plans for fulfilling his recruitment duties. He was told by the Guardians that if he can recruit a contingent of 12 Lanterns, the Guardians might let him get his old sector back. But a few Lanterns aren't there to witness the scene, hence Guy Gardner is on Earth fighting with Despero. Nort has lost his way back to Oa, and Brick has suddenly disappeared. So Hal tells his plan to the assembled. Kilowog wonders what would happen to Guy, and Hal says that Guy is going off the deep end, and that Sector 2814 needs him as the sector's Green Lantern. Musing that Hal is over his whole self-doubt thing, Chase and Larvox wonder why Brick is absent, especially when she's been so enamored with Hal. John razzes Hal's ability to get intergalactic tail, and Kilowog says it's all due to Hal being the sensitive yet macho type, like Kevin Costner. 80s reference, or 90s reference, I guess. John hits back with the observation that Hal seems to have a male's only policy for the core, which Hal corrects, saying that Larvox can't really be classified as male or female. Larvox takes no offense, since he finds humanoid sexual reproduction repellent. And Kilowog wonders why every time guys get together, they have to talk about sex. Hal says his policies might not be politically correct, but he wants to avoid any relationship problems, the likes of, uh, Aresia, Rick, and Katmatui. Uh... Oops, I guess he forgot that John was here. Hal tries to apologize, but John says that he's coming to terms with what happened with her and Star Sapphire. Hal agrees and says he couldn't go after Sapphire because she was Carol Ferris. But as the two agree to disagree, Chaselon's recruit, Boudica Bellatrix, enthusiastically introduces herself. The Amazon-like alien breaks up the Male Mutual Admiration Society, and begins to demonstrate what a proficient warrior she is. Demanding that the core recruiter, Hal and John, who incidentally are both being picked up by Boudica, literally, tell her that they need more than just warriors. But Kilowog pleads for Hal to take her in, because he thinks that if he can train her, he can train anyone. Not wanting to say yes quite yet, Hal asks for Larvox's recruit. And he's introduced to Amanita, a sentient fungus who communicates slower than William Shatner on Quaaludes. Some time has passed, and John and Kilowog are wondering what Hal's thoughts are regarding the new recruits. Amanita slowly says she's fine, while Boudica plans on smashing Chaselon for misleading her. Kilowog wonders how Hal attracts these kind of females, and John says that he's good at attracting them, but not dealing with them. In fact, he usually drives them into the arms of other men, even though they don't forget about it. Kilowog realizes that this is a loaded statement, and he decides to think about the offer of being the Green Lantern trainer while he's back on Earth. Meanwhile in space, Hal contemplates the proposal of inducting the two new lanterns as he tries to find the missing lantern, Brick. He travels to the last place she was at, a planet inhabited by mineral-based life forms, and quickly finds the major city. Using the ring to translate, Hal contacts the people and a single alien, Quarry, steps forward, claiming he knows where Brick was and that he was her recruit of choice. Hal says Brick mentioned two recruits, but Quarry says that the other was from the Pumice People, a race of weaklings and slobs. Reluctantly, Hal takes Quarry with him to search for Brick. Hal finds a weak energy trail and follows it up into the atmosphere, towing Quarry along with him. The duo stop when the lantern's energy trail ends and a different energy begins, and promptly get an explosion to the face for their troubles. Hearing a taunting voice telling Hal that they're recruiting too, the two heroes see a faint form flicker against the stars. But before Hal can react, an energy whip wraps around Corey's neck and pulls him into a fold in space. Threatening the multidimensional menace with the might of the core, Hal sees the villain too late as the same whip wraps around his neck and prepares to make this Green Lantern the latest captive of the villain, Flicker. All right, fellow listeners, strap yourselves in because for the next five issues, we're gonna get a pretty Howl-centric storyline, and this is definitely not the introspective, you know, moody Howl that we saw at the beginning of this series of issues. No, this is the Howl that's pretty straightforward and pretty determined. He knows what he's wanting to do, especially since the thing that he's wanting to do is pretty much star Sapphire or Carol Ferris, if you know what I mean, and I think you do. But let's go ahead and head into notes. We'll start off with the cover, which is a really awesome, if not awkward, cover. Now the background is just sort of a bright red, so it's not really that interesting and detailed. But what is interesting and is detail and detailed is Boudica on the cover. She's in her full Amazonian space warrior getup, uh, complete with you know weird alieny headband and bustier with essentially just two giant circles where the breast should be. And she has her left arm raised in a flexing pose as she's blowing her fist, or I guess blowing her nails, saying, where do I sign up? And you've got to imagine that she's got heavy, ridiculous smoker voice, because as we get to in the issue, you'll find that she's very vocal. But the neat thing is, she's standing towering over Hal Jordan. And basically, the way Hal Jordan is posed, he is right underneath Boudica's left armpit. I mean, on the cover, Hal is in front, and Boudica is standing behind and above him. She's got her left arm raised, and basically her left arm is in front of the top of Hal's head. So she's basically resting her armpit on Hal's head, and Hal doesn't look too pleased. In the background, we have got Kilowog and John just... Wide-eyed, gawking up at Boudicca. and it's a pretty damn funny cover. It's it's definitely one that would bring you if you weren't interested in Green Lantern. You'd be interested in why the hell is someone rubbing their armpit sweat in Hal Jordan's hair? Pages one through three, like I said, we get the Green Lantern row call. We've got Chase Alon standing triumphant, you know, kind of Frank Fazetta pose over his enemies. We get Larvox of Sputa recharging her ring. We get Nort flying through space, and when he hears Hal calling him, he's just looking around going, Who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Again, I love Nort. You've got uh, Guy Gardner basically punching the hell out of Despero, is fighting him along with the rest of the Justice League, and the Justice League and Justice League Europe books at the time. Uh, Kilowog's back on Earth. He's basically working in the garage, and Doing nothing, kind of feeling sorry for himself that he hasn't been called in to fight Despero, so he heads off to meet Hal, and John is on Oa, doing well architecture construction things. Then on page three we get the panels of Nort trying to fly to Oa and, unfortunately, not knowing his way. And It's kind of sad. I think this might be also the first time that I've seen Broderick draw Nort, and he does a pretty good job of it. He draws Nort a lot like Staten does, but of course his art's a bit more detailed than Staten. It's not as I hate to use the word simplified, but Broderick has a more overly detailed style, and Staten has a more straight and linear style. They're both good aspects, and Nort really looks good in this issue. It's sad that he's probably going to fly off into some far quadrant of space and (sighs) sadly not be heard from for a while. Page four, panel one, we get Hal calling out to Brick, and Brick saying, Of course, Hal. Of course I'm coming. Yes, I think that wins for dirtiest line in the comic book. And then the same page, panel three, we get Brick thinking to herself, Hal seems distant with me. I'll have to impress him. That's all. I'll have to make sure that I bring in the best. The best. Yes, Brick is essentially the crazy, stereotypical, clingy ex-girlfriend. Or, I guess in this case, pre-girlfriend. Page 6, panel 2 and 3. We get Hal being pretty sure about Guy being the wrong Green Lantern for Earth's sector, and thankfully we've got Kilowog standing in for him, you know, sort of taking up for Guy, but... Hal's not having any of it, as he clearly states, Sector 2814 needs me, and that's it. So, yeah, this isn't the self doubting Hal that we saw at the beginning of this series. He's pretty much a large and in charge now, and it looks like things might be going bad for Guy here pretty soon. Then, page 7, this is awesome. John is finally being really lighthearted here. You see him razzing with Hal, you see him winking at Larvox. You see him basically comfortable in his identity until panel five, where Hal mentions Kat Matui. And then on panel six, you see the look on John's face of just complete and total disgust. Hal just really put his foot in his mouth right there and ruined the entire fun dynamic that the Lanterns had going on. Page eight, we get story wrap-up basically telling what was going on with uh, Hal and Star Sapphire and John and Katma. And there's notes for Action Comics 601 and 605 and Green Lantern 16. So, with Kevin Dooley at the helm, we're starting to get more editor's notes, which is nice. It gives a feeling of a broader continuity to the stories. Then on page 9, we get the introduction of Boudica, And... (laughs) She is a stereotypical, overly muscled Amazon warrior wench. It is crazy. She's got a face that's pretty mannish and a smile that would pretty much make the Joker kind of freak out. And She is just large and in charge, and every word that comes out of her mouth is lettered much larger than the dialogue that's coming out of any of the other characters' mouth. It's basically to show that everything she says is said in a shout. And she just looks like she walked off the set of a Miss Universe pageant. I mean, it's a ridiculous bodybuilding stereotype, but Boudica fits it. and I know she'd go through some character changes, at least physically. Here she's depicted as sort of having a bluish-gray skin type, and in later iterations, she'd have a more pinkish skin type. She's much more muscly in in this book than she was in other stuff, and I know she's still around today. Well, at least today is not the new 52, but before that. And she was a member of the Alpha Lantern, so she did become an integral character of the Green Lantern Corps. And, of course, to show how worthy Boudicca is of being a member of the Green Lantern Corps, she decides to beat the living crap out of everyone around. <laughs> it's a funny amount of fighting McFightenstein that goes on, and uh, Hal, you know, holds his own, because, well, he's kind of a skilled scrapper, but Boudicca would pretty much pummel him if Hal didn't have the ring, I think. Plus, is an odd little side note, you know, starting on page 10, the page numbers disappear for some reason. I mean, I've looked at, you know, the corners and the top of the page. You know, most of the pages, they were at the bottom of the page and the center, but now they're completely gone for a few pages, so, kind of weird. Page 12, panel 2, and I'm kind of wondering if Kilowog only wants to train Boudica or if he has other things that he wants to do, if you know what I mean. I mean, it gets lonely being the only big guy on Earth, and Maybe he and Budokan can hook up. Then on the same page, panels three through seven, we meet Amanita, the mushroom Green Lantern, which I can only be certain would be Chris Honeywell's favorite Green Lantern ever. Yes, Larvox, the weird slug alien, decided to recruit a Green Lantern who was essentially a mushroom. Not only a mushroom, but a mushroom who talks so slowly that it takes four panels for her to say, "Please to meet you. Go ahead and insert your crazy drug references right here. Page 14, panel 6, we get Hal mentioning that he scanned Amanita's mind, and he, quote, I saw a vision of cosmic connectedness that would turn me into a drooling fool. Yeah, I've heard that the right kind of mushrooms might do that to you. And then on page 15, panel 4, as Hal's flying off to try and find brick, the city that he runs into. Can you guess what color the city is? Can you guess? You wanna you wanna take a guess? Yeah, it's yellow. Everything in the city where the recruits that Boudica was co- trying to find pretty much covered yellow. So more yellow buildings, more yellow planets. It's ridiculous page 16 we get in the the introduction to the obsidian people of this planet where there's two races the obsidian people and the pumice people and the obsidian people are basically sentient rock people that kind of look like stereotypical africans except they're all just one sort of dark color they're really not uh, they're all bald and they have a bunch of odd sort of colorful symbols painted on their body. You know, little squigglies and lines. It looks like odd tribal tattoos. And Quarry is the one that Brick picked out to be the recruit. And if you want to get him an image of Quarry, essentially if you've ever seen Amistad or Gladiator and you know, uh, what's his name? I think it's pronounced Jimen Hansu or Jimen Hansu. He was the, uh, he was the muscular black guy and I think he might have also been in the Janet Jackson video, but if you can imagine that with sort of weird you know, rainbow-colored stripes painted around his head, you've kind of got the idea of what Quarry looks like. But oddly, for some reason, the Obsidian people really have it against the Pumice people, who I guess are their rivals on this planet, and they find them to be pretty beneath them. And it's a weird sort of plot device that I don't know if goes if it goes anywhere in the next few issues, and I don't know if it's really dealt with at all. And then finally, skipping ahead on page 22, we get our first full-page image of Flickr, the antagonist for these next few issues, and going along with the previous episode of Just One of the Guys, we're going to be talking about possible gay stereotypes. Flickr is basically a guy with Firestorm's head, kind of flaming, in a Lord Falteroy suit with puffy sleeves and the ruffled collar and high-heeled boots. Yes, he's got four-inch-heeled boots. So make your own decisions of what you want to think about Flicker because he's a flaming character. Literally in possibly figuratively. But that's all of my notes. Uh, The letters column has some interesting letters dealing with the Mosaic storyline, and certain readers writing in to say that they'd like to see John and Guy get their own solo stories, so how can Fly solo in the Green Lantern book? Well, they might be getting their wish. But, with nothing else going on, let's go ahead and take a look at the ads, and in the front inside cover, we get Double, dra- a double Dragon explosion for your NES and Game Boy. And we get a sort of photo realized and I'm wondering if it might be from the Double Dragon movie that these characters are taken from. But a picture of two muscle-bound bandana, well, not bandana, sweatband-wearing thugs you know, who are going to find Billy Lee and beat the living crud out of him. So... Double Dragon 1, 2, and 3 for your Game Boy and for your NES. Tons of fun. Then again, we get the animated version of the Road Warriors for WCW World Championship Wrestling for the NES. We've covered this before. Not going to go into it again. The Road Warriors are ridiculous. Then we get a half-page ad for Twin City comic books and a half-page ad for your various hodgepodge stuff. But this is a little different. This is kind of the old-school one with the, uh... Oh, the x-ray glasses, the whoopee cushion, Venus flytrap bulbs, police-quality chrome-plated steel handcuffs, spy sunglasses, and dog mess. So... All those practical jokes that you remember from the 70s are now back in the 90s. Then later on, we get the Great Eastern Conventions ad with the biggest convention of the year, New York, January 10th, 11th, and 12th, 1992, at the Ramada Hotel, with Larry Stroman, Mark Bagley, Mike McNola, Tom Lyle, Mike Zek, Jim Starlin, Joe Kubert, and Mike Kaluta, and hundreds more. And we get a nice little... Oh, I don't know what kind of artwork it is. It looks Legend of the Dark Knight trying to ape Bob Kane Batman up there, holding up a tattered card of the Joker. It's it's some nice artwork there. And, of course, then they have the uh, listing of all the other con- conventions that they're going to have in December. So, again, convention ads for great Eastern, Eastern conventions. Kind of a nice bit of nostalgia. After that, we get a full page from East Coast Comics with all the prices and comics that they're selling. Just kind of glancing through here, I see that uh, Amazing Spider-Man, what is it, number 300, is had uh, got an asking price of $38, and of course, the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man number one, the silver edition, is uh, running a $40 price. So, wonder how much they're going for right now. Then midway for the book. Through the book, sorry, we get Monarch in the Old West. He wants to gun down mankind's last hope, and it's all part of Armageddon, the alien agenda. And we get essentially Monarch in his goofy blue and yellow armor, looking like he's gonna gun down. Oh, this isn't Jonah Hex. I'm wondering who this is. Maybe Batlash? I'm not really certain but I believe this is one of the spinoffs from the Armageddon 2001 storyline. A few more pages in, we get the typical hodgepodge page with building an atlas body and learning to draw comic books, or comic book characters. It's pretty much the same one that we've seen in all the comics. And we also get the subscription page with all the DC superheroes running out, sort of Super Friends style. and You get the uh, various DC comics you can subscribe to. And then on the back inside cover, we get Who Will Have the Last Laugh. With looks as hot as 16-bit, it's Sunsoft's Batman, The Return of the Joker. And I remember playing this game. It was an interesting side-scroller. Uh, kind of a la Castlevania, except you played Batman, and he threw batarangs at people. And The graphics for the NES were pretty good. Right now, uh, the I don't believe the Super NES was out yet, or the Super Nintendo was out yet, and the Sega Genesis and the TurboGrafx-16 were the only 16-bit gaming systems out. So they were trying to cash in on the fact that the 16-bit stuff looked better, and hopefully this would take your mind off the fact that the NES was still only 8-bit. It was pretty good graphics, but like most uh, Batman or comic book tie-in games, it was probably pretty difficult in fact i think i remember renting this and not completing it most of the batman games of the time were pretty tough anyway and then on the back outside cover i don't know why this is here this is a real departure for comic books but we get an ad for what rock and roll was meant to be hollywood vampires the album from the band la guns and if there was not a more 90s looking band LA Guns is it and it includes some of their hit songs like Kiss My Love Goodbye Some Lie for Love and It's Over Now and it's got a quote from Bram Stoker's Dracula saying listen to them children of the night what music they make And I'm pretty certain Bram Stoker wasn't talking about LA Guns when he wrote that quote down But it's weird, you know, the only song that I remember from L.A. Guns is Ballad of Jane, and unfortunately it's not the Ballad of Jane that we remember from Firefly. But the one ad that I didn't cover that I wanted to sort of give a little emphasis to was this great piece of art, and I'm looking at the signature, I can't tell who the artist is, but it looks like a regular Batman artist, and the description says... Batman's best friend isn't on the streets tonight. People said that Commissioner Gordon had heart. He was a tough cop, and proud of it. Eating right, exercise, vacations. Those things were for guys not so tough. Tobacco was part of it. A smoke would help jumpstart the day, help get him through a long night, mellow out the bad hours. Then one day, all the pain in the world collected in his chest and squeezed. Jim Gordon's heart wasn't working right anymore. That made it hard to be tough, and even harder to be proud. And, yeah, it's an advertisement for the American Heart Association about a not-smoking campaign, but it's got this beautiful picture of Jim Gordon, well, I guess I would say beautiful, I guess beautifully drawn, but a sort of horrific and sad picture of Jim Gordon light up in the hospital with, you know, an oxygen mask on, and EKG monitor on his heart, and you know, you see him just lying there looking all just horrible. Outside the window, you see the bat signal lighting up there. and It's a really great piece of artwork, and it's a nice way to get the idea that you probably shouldn't be smoking. As much as I'm, well, not an advocate for smoking, but an advocate for personal choice, if you choose to smoke and you want to, that's your right and that's your decision, and I don't think that should be taken away. But I do like the fact that the American Heart Association is putting out advertisements to try and get people to think about stopping smoking, and this one is a pretty effective one. Taking an iconic character like Jim Gordon, you know, pretty much Batman's main confidant, and putting him up on, in the hospital due to his smoking habits really sends a powerful message. and It's a great piece of artwork, and in my opinion, a really great ad. But that's it for this issue. I uh, hope you guys come back next week for more Hal jordan goodness. Unfortunately, there's not going to be much Guy Gardner for a couple of weeks, about a month or so, but uh, then uh, we should be getting straight on into Guy Gardner's solo series after that. So... Just a few more weeks of dealing with Hal, and we'll be on to some more Guy Gardner goodness. But until then, I hope you guys have a great week, and we'll catch you next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys. Stay safe. Talk to you later. Bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Engle. All images, stories, and music are copyright the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, all not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to know that. All feedback from the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at just one of the guys podcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcome. All spam bots are warmly welcome too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at just one of the guys, all one word, dot Libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast and leave a review there at iTunes and I'll be sure to read it on the show. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there because I don't have an account there, but if you've got enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. The opening music for today's podcast was Everclear's The Boys Are Back in Town, the cover of the Thin Lizzy song. This song is featured on Everclear's album, Ten Years Gone, and is also featured in the movie Detroit Rock City. You can download either of those from iTunes, or better yet, go to twotruefreaks.libson.com, click on the Amazon.com banner at the top of the page, Go to Amazon and download the song or album there, or go buy the DVD movie Detroit Rock City. You'll be making sure cash flow comes in to one of the best podcasts on the internet.